The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. We're continuing our series in Psalm 119, our summer in Psalm 119. And as we look at this, the passage for this morning, uh, we're looking at verses 121 through 136. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Psalm 119, beginning in verse 121. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because the people do not keep your law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, may it be a delight to us this morning. Lord, teach us what you would have us to learn from your truth and write its precepts on our heart with your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I went to my 20th high school, high school reunion. It's fun to go back uh, to my hometown and to see friends who I had not seen in years. It's also somewhat uh, unsettling. <laughs> Folks who you had expected to be there aren't. Relationships you expected to be flourishing are no longer. And so I found myself occupying this tension telling stories of old and laughing and catching up with friends that I had not seen in years. And I sat across the table from a friend, and what I learned uh, from him is that he had been experiencing kidney failure, and that in the, his late 30s was a candidate on the waiting list for a, a kidney transplant. He told me about the agonizing experience of going through dialysis for months. And he told me that he, his great hope was that he would be a match for someone soon. So I began to pray for him and to, to keep in touch as to what was going on in his life. And he became a match. And he received an, an uh, organ transplant 
Uh, and in that, we began to touch base, and I would ask him, you know, how are you doing, and is the, is the organ, is your body receiving it well? And one of the things he noted to me, like, through his doctors, is that sometimes the organ just isn't a match. And to the best of their abilities, they work, uh, the medical professionals work to make sure this is not an issue. But as is accustomed with our bodies and the way God has fearfully and wonderfully made us, that they don't really like to receive foreign things, including uh, organs that are for our health. And so there are these anti-rejection meds uh, that he had to take. He said, what's interesting is that so often the, 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 the failure to receive the new organ is not a result of the organ or any surgical procedure that's gone on. It's the result of the person not properly taking their medication. And as we talked about this, he, it, it seems so interesting of a question that the very thing that we need, we simply neglect to do in order to be healthy. We wonder why people would do this to themselves after on, uh, enduring agonizing dialysis and other experiences uh, of their loss of health. Uh, you know, some of the reasons were given as I simply didn't think about it. I was too busy. I was distracted. This causes both doctors and others to scratch their heads and wonder what is going on. One writer uh, posed this question. He said, if you were to take uh, or pose this uh, theory to this idea, and he said, if you were to prescribe a drug essential for the health and well-being of its uh, recipients, what he has found over the course of his uh, experience is that about one-third of the individuals prescribed this drug would take it and fill the prescription and take the medicine as they have been directed. About another third of those folks would fill it but they would not take it correctly. And of those remaining, many would not fill it at all or ever make an attempt to take this prescribed medicine that would bring them health. When you consider the reality of that, it seems just perplexing. What is even more perplexing is that people are better at filling and administering medication for their pets than they are for themselves. And when we consider this, we wonder, do we really want to get better at all? Do we want to be healthy? Do we want to flourish as an individual and as a group? As we look this morning at Psalm 119 and continue to turn the kaleidoscope of this passage, we see this desire, the, the longing for God's Word, the longing for its precepts, His law, His judgments. And we, He sends, begins to turn it just another degree. And then the question that the psalmist is answering or working through today is, why do individuals, much like these folks who would take these medicines, simply don't do it the way that it's been prescribed to them? You see, he's not concerned in shedding streams of tears for those who have never known the Lord, never experienced His grace, He's not saying I hate false ways because those outside the covenant community are acting in a way that's in violation of God's word. No, what is causing him much consternation is to look around at his brothers and sisters who've heard the truth of God's word 
and are simply choosing not to live under it. Another counselor has acknowledged that, that in order to flourish as a spiritual community, one of the requirements is that we would acknowledge our brokenness. We would acknowledge our brokenness, that we would be vulnerable before the Word, vulnerable before God, and vulnerable with ourselves and others. And in doing that, we wouldn't seem to promote these facades of strength and intelligence and skill and shrewdness, but we would admit that there are things we're incapable of doing. So often what happens in the church is that people come as if it is a, a, a prospect, a job interview, where we are candidating and trying to win a position rather than entering into a doctor's office where we all know why in each other is there. It's because we're sick. You see, what the psalmist is, is wrestling with and wrestling with in his own heart is he is knowing that he has something wrong and that same ailment afflicts those around him. And what he is acknowledging throughout this entire psalm is that you can't live in God's world, in God's way, unless you immerse yourself in God's Word. You can't live in God's world, in God's way, unless you immerse yourself in God's Word. God desires for us to flourish, that we would be fruitful and multiply, that we would experience harmony in relationships, that we would be connected and aligned. But it's no wonder that we're not because we simply don't take God's Word as seriously as we ought. Jesus calls us to be disciples. But in discipleship, it's not something that we do. It becomes a way of life. And our approach, our relationship to God's Word, isn't something that we uh, handle half-heartedly. It isn't a part-time affair. No, it is critical and vital to our very essence and the way that we live. And so as the psalmist is wrestling through this passage, as he is looking at his peers, those in the church, those within the covenant community, those who are not administering the prescribed medicine from the Lord as they ought, I want us to consider our own hearts. What is our relationship to the Word? What is our relationship to His precepts? What is our relationship? It's real easy to look at someone else and to say what they're doing wrong. What we have to be accountable, what we are accountable for and responsible for is what we are doing. And so as we look at this relationship, the first thing I want us to look at this morning is that we consider and think about God's Word is do we treasure it? Do we treasure God's Word? Previously, in verse 97, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. In verse 127, he said, Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. He says it's an unfolding light. He says that this is what keeps his steps steady. He continues to use these words of longing. These words of desire, because it is something that he prizes. This past week, I was returning uh, from a trip out of town, and I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell. 
The first episode in the fifth season is called Dragon Psychology 101. And one of the things it talks about, I won't spoil it for you should you read it, but it talks about this idea of those who hoard things, who simply develop an attachment to items. Ordinary, average, everyday trash is what other people would call it, but they're things that these individuals can't disassociate or remove themselves from. And what psychologists and, and counselors have ex- acknowledged through this idea of hoarding is that those individuals begin to associate that item with an experience that they have lived through. And in that association, they begin to say that if I were to get rid of that thing, that I would be getting rid of a piece of myself. You see, we don't treasure God's Word as we ought. Something as insignificant as a receipt for a dinner is something that we would cherish for a lifetime. But God's Word isn't something that we would apply in those same ways. The psalmist is saying, I look at other people. I look at the way they approach God's Word, the way they apply it in their life, and they simply don't revere it as they ought. They don't cherish it as they ought. They don't view it as a treasured gift. As I was considering the idea of the way I experience gifts, the way I interact with different things, certainly there are those items that I've received that I was grateful for and I, and I have kept and held on to for years. There are other things that after a season have lost their usefulness and have found their way into the trash. But still worse, there are those things that I think is the worst form of, of, of response to a gift, and that is the regifting. <laughs> and, and what a regifting process means is that it isn't worthy enough for the trash heap, and it isn't worthy enough to be held onto, but it is good enough for somebody else. And so we give things that we received for our wedding and we re-gift them for another wedding or for another white elephant party or to someone else's baby. You see, what I think has happened and what the psalmist is moved to tears and in his own consternation is he is seeing those who have lowered the usefulness of God's Word. And they have not perceived it or understood it to be a treasure and applied to their life, but they've simply considered it to be trash or something that should be regifted. And so what the psalmist is saying is that he is saying, this is this your word, O Lord, your promises. My eyes long for, for salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. And treasuring God's righteous promise over time, when accurately and, and a proper, a properly administered, it will bring about transformation. It will bring about the fullness of shalom in our lives. And it's something that grounds us day to day. We're called to treasure God's Word. The second posture that I want us to consider is the idea of dependence upon God's Word. Do we rely upon it? Do we see it not just for the extraordinary things, but for the day-to-day guidance that we need in life? 
This past week, Bill and I were out of town doing some ministry planning, and we were with a friend. He took us for a hike in the North Carolina mountains, and along this particular hike, we found, he t- stopped and paused at a, a sign and said, let me tell you about this story. Some folks were hiking once upon a time, and one fell off and fell. All his friends thought he was dead, but he wasn't. And so one, as it said, stout individual went down and basically hefted up his friend to safety. Negotiating the path down there was not something that I was particularly fond of, but it was something that I did. The friend with us didn't like heights, and so he was clinging to the various structures around him in order to steady his steps. We often think we can get along in this life with our own cunning and our own strength and our own balance and our own integrity of being. But what God has done in giving us His Word is He's given it to us to steady our steps according to His promise. It tells us in verse 133. His promise that He would never leave us nor forsake us. His promise that He would be with us and that He has a plan for us, a plan for us to prosper. And in that, we are coming along and when we hear these words, we're, we're called to be dependent upon them. Dependence in a way like Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 4, when He's in the wilderness, where He says, I will forego bread and I will rely on Your Word in order to get me through this temptation, in order to get me through this trial. It's only when we have realized how bad the need is for Jesus. Hold on, let me rephrase that. It's only when we have to do and rely upon His Word that we begin to realize how desperate our need is. How often we're quick to turn to other things when we think we can get through it on our own. Tim Keller is prone to have said, it's until you understand that Jesus is all you have, you'll never know He is all that you need. And so often we try to rely on our own strength and we don't depend. And I'm sure there are many folks that the psalmist was looking at who were seeking out to live out their freedom and their independence in life and not rely on the truth of God's Word. They didn't treasure it and they didn't depend on it. And thirdly, I think through that, what we see is that God is calling us to yield to His Word, that we would treasure it, that we would depend on it, and that we would yield to to it. Mark Twain is known to have said, it's not the, the, his problem with the Bible is not the parts that he doesn't understand. It's with the parts that he does. And so in our yielding to God's word, what we must do is to begin in, in understanding our treasuring it and dependence upon it is that God has given us the whole counsel of his word. And that is God breathed and inspired, as it tells us in 2 Timothy, and is profitable for correction and for training and righteousness and reproof and in every good work. It reveals to us much about who we are and the world that we live in. But so often we treat God's word like it is a toy, 
like it's an accessory. Now, what do I mean by that we treat it as a toy? So many of the things that my girls want are marketing ploys not to buy a particular doll, but it's that you would buy all the accoutrements that come with it that are sold separately. That all of a sudden you need all the other things and you can't have a good life unless you acquire all the other trinkets and knobs and toys and bells and whistles. That's what the world is trying to sell us. It's not that you just need this. It's that you need everything else that's sold separately. And we become like the dragon smog that was featured in that podcast where we just have to have all that glitters. And we don't know why, we just want it. If not to want it so that someone else can't have it. You see, that isn't grace at all. That isn't an understanding of God's Word. And so when we're yielding to God's Word, we not only yield to the parts that tell us that we're loved and cherished and pursued and that the Lord reaches out and comes and seeks and saves the lost and gives His life as a ransom for many. No, we yield to those parts that tell us that we have to put to death our flesh. That we have to be intentional in laying aside those things that entangle our hearts and ensnare us. That we have to yield to those parts of Scripture that we simply wish weren't in there. Because the fact that they are means that He's calling us to obey. And so we have to yield. We have to submit. We have to put our lives in proper perspective to the Creator of the universe. When we do this, what we are finding is that we are moving to live in a just and righteous way. That we are seeking to be His servant. It's such a fascinating term that's used multiple times in this passage. Give your servant a pledge of good in verse 122. In verse 124, deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. In verse 125, I am your servant, give me understanding. The psalmist understood his position in relationship to God's word. He was yielding and submitting to it. In verse 126, which is a bit of a pivot, he turns and he says, It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. It's not a cop-out. He's simply recognizing his own limitations. He's saying, I can't save myself. I've tried and it has not been enough. I cannot bring about the change, the the desire, the mercy and justice that I long to see in the world to, to rid it of the injustice. He says, I can't do it on my own. It says, the evil that's within, the guilt, the shame, the the struggling that I deal with, I I can't liberate myself from it. So, Lord, you're going to have to act because I'm not strong enough. It's a yielding and acknowledging of our own inability and turning to the one who is able. And what we know about God's word and its unfolding light that gives us understanding is that the way God acted for those who had broken His law is that He sent His Son. 
and that he was born in a manger, and God, who had spoke all things into existence by the power of his word, took on flesh, and he yielded to God's law, his law. And in his humanity, he depended upon it every day of his life because he treasured it above all other things. There's a verse that I uh, pray for my girls nearly every night, that they would grow in wisdom and in favor and in stature with both God and men because that's the way Jesus grew up. One of the things I think is a struggle for many when we think about Jesus is we think he had some sort of superhuman power. But what we understand through reading Scripture is that all the things in which Jesus grew and matured are the same things God has preserved and given to us. We have access to him through prayer. And Jesus did that often, especially after significant events in his life and particularly tiring moments. He had given him his spirit. And it's through his spirit that he walked and he relied and he trusted And it's through his word that he hid in his heart so that he might not sin against God, as we find earlier in Psalm 119. You see, Jesus walked in the same way that we have been called to walk. That we would treasure his word and we would depend upon it daily and that we would yield to it in all things. And through this, when we look at the life of Christ, we see what the psalmist is trying to show us, what the gospel is trying to tell us, what the sum of Scripture is is pointing us towards. And it's for those who are sick and desiring to get better, for those who desire health and who long to flourish, who are acknowledging their own brokenness and their limitations, that if they would simply submit themselves to His Word, turn to Him and and, and plead for His grace that He would give it and give it in abundance. But we must steady ourselves and we must administer it. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Martin Luther said, I must hear the gospel every day because I forget it every day. It's It's through those words that we are reminded that if we are to walk as He walked, we will submit ourselves in the same way that Jesus did. And when we look around at the others, not not the world, because non-Christians are going to behave like non-Christians. But what concerns so many and concerns me is when I see Christians who prefer to behave like non-Christians. And it's in that that we, we pray and we long for them, that they would know his precepts and that they would cherish his commandments and that they would consider his testimonies to be wonderful. And it's through that that we, as the author of Hebrews said, that we stir up one another to love and good deeds and all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. So friends, what do we do with this? Well, we must run to his word. If it's for a few verses a day or for lengthier passages a day, that we must sit with it and be humble before it. That it would be a part of our desire and what we would long for. And that we would allow it to inform the way that we live. And not only would we allow it to inform the way we live, 
but that we would look to one another and that we would speak the word over them, pointing them back to Jesus, pointing back to the hope that we have in Christ, pointing them back to the promises of the Lord that shape and mold and form our lives. You see, when we, if we want to flourish as a community, we must acknowledge our brokenness and be vulnerable before the Lord. And in acknowledging our brokenness and being vulnerable before Him, we hear those words that He has loved us first, that He has sought us while we were still enemies, that He has saved us while we were still sinners. And it's through that He shows us the reality of what it means to flourish in His grace, to know the fullness of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. Our great God and King, we thank You for your mercy and grace. Lord, give us the strength, give us the endurance, that if all other would turn aside and not follow you, Lord, help us to have the resolve to say that I still will. Lord, show us what is good and what is true and what is beautiful in your word. And Lord, may we treasure it all the days of our life. Lord, would we rely and depend upon it, Lord, for every step of the way, Lord, and would we yield to it, especially, Lord, allowing ourselves to be offended by it, to draw us in repentance and faith to the Savior who gives us grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.